0: Doctor who helps people, so yeah, don't, uh, don't ask me about your arm or your leg or, your, or any of that stuff. Secondly, I'm really, really grateful to Mike not to have asked me to preach uh, on the Seventh Commandment. We're going to do the Ninth Commandment. Seems a lot safer from my point of view. Um, in fact... The truth is, it's, when we encounter the, the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor is how it's usually translated, we encounter that, we immediately say, well, of course. It's regarded as non-controversial. The trouble with that is that we do it all the time. And our... Culture, both the Christian culture and the secular culture, are increasingly falling into this pattern of of false witness. So I want to talk about, about what it means, what God is telling us not to do, what God is telling us to do, because the sayings, the 10 sayings in Exodus, repeated in Deuteronomy, and also in Leviticus, there's a a long section that are these sayings plus several other ones. This is important. This is the word of the Lord. uh, And it's here on purpose. So if I uh, could ask you to pray for just a second. I will pray. Father, you are the founder of fatherhood. You are the creator of all things in Jesus. And I ask that our hearts will be tuned to you in the spirit, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. I almost forgot to say amen, and then you were all going to be, you know. But I can't see you, so it's okay. Uh, The the 10 sayings are very interesting exactly exactly because they're uh, here. They're clearly critical. They were engraved on stone, which in the ancient world, that was not done. Clay was used. So these are meant to be not only really important, but they're permanent. They were put in the ark, and they were carried. There's something permanent here. But when you look at the second five, uh, what... Historians call the second table of the Decalogue, okay, um, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. However, you Lutherans in the room uh, number them, (laughs) because there's different numbering systems, but they all come out to be ten. And these things are not exhaustive. Much like lists of do's and don'ts, lists of positive and negative character traits elsewhere in the scripture. These five could have been some other five. So you want to ask yourself, what is God telling us by choosing these five? What do they have in common? What is critical about them that they would be the ones rather than some other? There's 600 other commandments at various places in the Scripture. Why these five here? Let's come back to that, but I commend to you the idea that God chose them on purpose for a purpose and that purpose is us okay so let's see what we can do with this Um, no false witness is an interesting idea uh, especially for anyone who has to do with small children we have 10 grandchildren some of which are still small. They're sitting over here. Um, here's the thing about false witness the, it, it is conceivable to me that the first sin a child commits is bearing false witness. Right? All right. That's false witness. And it is just natural. And that the, the Ten Commandments are not here to say, okay, you don't have to sin because you can do these things or not do these things or do some other things. That it, they're here because we are sinners, because we are fallen, and we do these things. They are here to alert us. What people do with them is to try to narrow them down They want to take them out of their context and put them as far away as they can so that they are very, very small. And then say, okay, I can do that. I am doing that. There's a very well-known story, an event in the New Testament that we'll come back around to where a person says, oh yeah, I'm doing all that. He was not doing all that. That. What is going on here? Well we have the Israelites being constituted as a nation. We have the mountain, we have the camp hundreds and hundreds of thousands, couple million people just waiting and they've been enslaved for 400 years or so And you just don't come out of that. You know, you can look at our own history and see that enslaving human beings leaves a mark. And these people were marked. And uh, as you remember, they're going to pretty consistently say, hey, let's go back. We liked it better there. So God is creating something, and he's creating a community of people who can get along. This is, in a sense, a civil law, and the concept of not bearing false witness is connected, especially in Deuteronomy, with um, legal proceedings, but it goes far beyond just legal proceedings, just witnessing in front of a judge. It's setting up uh, a community and making sure that this community can function correctly. And that's true, really, of Uh, The other ones in the in the second table here. In fact, if actually if you were listening to Mike last week, you probably can go now, because a lot of the impact on a community of stealing is the same as the impact on a community of bearing false witness. It's destructive. At the very root of the life of these people, and of us as the church, it's very, very destructive. the The way that the Old um, Old Testament phrases this, the the way that the pronouns work here, and I'm not going to do any Hebrew. I got I got Doug for that. Um, is this? These pronouns are individual, but Plural. They're not something that works in English and it's kind of hidden in English translations. They are addressed to each person, but they are addressed to each person insofar as they are part of the community. And as such, they are calling for action. This is not a passive presentation. This This is a command, even though the word commandment is not used in Exodus at this point, but they require us to do something. And that practice, the practice of these sayings is a community thing. It exists in community, it's policed by the community, Uh, I I don't really like the word police just because they didn't have police forces, but the community was operating. Here's a quote. Uh, If you are the sort of person who wants to read free, interesting stuff that's good, and maybe you can use that to set aside free stuff that's bad as you know you got this time um, I, I want to recommend to you something uh, the, there's a website called the Gospel Coalition it is one of the wonderful things that Timothy Keller l- left us when he passed uh, to his next stage uh, a man who see I, I can't get through 10 minutes without choking up <clears throat> a man who was a gift to us by God, the, the Gospel Coalition, and they have an online journal called Tumelios. Let's have that quote here, because the word Tamilios should appear. It's at, um, David Barker is the author of this particular article. It, this is free stuff. Some of it is kind of technical, and, and there are a lot of book reviews in there, but this is what he says about the, about the Ten Commandments. It's a personal address to people within a community. That community includes us. It's personally addressed by the Lord of the universe to us as a body. Notice that God does not treat human beings in isolation from each other. That's individualism. That's a sort of enlightenment, modernist way of thinking each person separated from all the others. That's not biblical. Here we are, and we are called. And, and he says it's not a textbook, by which he means even when there are some strictures in both testaments, it, but throughout the Bible, about um, two or three witnesses, the, the idea of two or three witnesses is connected to this ninth commandment. But even so, it's not just for courts of law it is for everyday life and it's from God. So that's David Barker and if you want a link here let me know I can hook you up with that. I read it daily there's articles and stuff in there that are good from a certain point of view. It just happens to be our point of view Do you know what the word covenant means? We use it a lot You've heard it defined, I'm sure. It's not sort of everyday language. But this is a covenant. God is making a covenant with His people and through them we are being blessed even though the covenant is renewed and we know more than the Hebrews did at the foot of Mount Sinai, this is still our our covenant. There are people, you know, you will hear it all the time. Forget about the Old Testament. It's not for us. We don't have to read it. it <clears throat> it's been suspended. And the point of view of Vista and, and the point of view that makes sense to me personally is that these are in effect in so far as we live in this community. They are ours. And that covenant then is between God and a community. There are some covenants that are between God and a person. There's Abraham. Uh, God called Abraham uh, individually, but what did he say to Abraham? He said, Through you, all people bless you, will be blessed. So even in the Abrahamic covenant, which God is speaking to a particular person, it's still a community. It's everyone who will be blessed through that covenant. So we're connecting all of these sayings, 10 sayings plus the other ones, but they're connected insofar as they are part of this covenant. Now, to talk a little bit more specifically about do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, there's a connection, a clear one, between no false witness and taking the Lord's name in vain. Eric, right, talked about that and did a wonderful, wonderful job of convicting me. Maybe you too. I slunk home after that. Um, this false witness is a form of taking God's name in vain. Because we are called to be truth tellers, when we do not say the truth, whether we avoid telling something we know, whether we fabricate, this is an affront to the Lord of the universe. Okay, we have a slide for Exodus 20, 16. This is Exodus 20, 16. You shall not. And as we have seen in other commandments, the Hebrew is actually a much simpler, sort of choppy, uh, sort of finger-in-the-chest kind of language. Not, bear false, witness, neighbor. Except the word neighbor is an interesting translation and I, I want to expand on that. To bear just means um, literally to give an answer. The word for bear here is giving an answer. And false is a word that is used throughout the Hebrew scriptures, seker, and it means deceive There's another word for lie that is more general that is used in other places, do not lie. But here it says do not deceive. And witness means to testify. So uh, I'm old, and in the 60s, there used to be these things called testimonies. Who remembers testimonies? Oh, no hands at all. (laughs) I can't see some of you. Testimonies, people testifying to what God has done, is doing, will do. And that's the word here, to testify. But when you put the word deceive in front of it, you see how this becomes connected to taking the Lord's name in vain. And even to having a God in front of the true God. Witness also is connected to uh, the word Ebenezer. Is that a word? Where's Nance? Ebenezer is one of her favorite. list, my wife. Thank you. Um, Ebenezer is one of her favorite words. We have an Ebenezer in our backyard that our kids gave to us. It's a pile of rocks. An Ebenezer is a remembrance. It's a physical symbol that evokes the testimony of God. So if you are familiar with the march of the um, children of Israel through the desert when they come to the Jordan River, they pile up stones. And then throughout their time in the land of Canaan, they're always piling up stones. Those are Ebenezers. They sometimes are referred to as altars, but even there the purpose is to remind them of what God has done. So we have a choice in our lives and in our community to either give true testimony to to set up an Ebenezer to the Lord, or to be deceitful. Um, in the, in the uh, Latin translation, that was done by St. Jerome, uh, interestingly, sitting in Bethlehem in the 400, about around 400. He used the word martus here for this, which is the word martyr. The word martyr means to testify. We associate it with some very extreme forms of testifying, but it just means testify. And then the the word neighbor, uh, this is a word that's very slippery in our language, and it gives us a terrible temptation. The the word is um, reah in Hebrew. It gives us this terrible temptation to think we're only talking about the people here and here, or maybe here. And so when you come through uh, an entire century of redlining in real estate, it makes my neighbor seem very safe because it's carefully set up to make sure they're like me. This word does not mean anything of the sort. In fact, in Exodus 11... So a few chapters earlier the same word is used uh, in reference to the Egyptians. The Israelites are told how to get ready to leave and God gives instructions through Moses that they would talk to their neighbors. And the neighbors that are being talked to are the Egyptians. Uh, If we think forward into the work that Jesus did uh, on earth for us, we'll remember there. this question comes up again. Who is my neighbor? The answer, what's the answer? Everyone. The answer is everyone is my neighbor. Um, A lot of modern, more current translations of this sentence use the term fellow man or fellow people instead of neighbor in order to overcome this habit that we have of making neighbor so small. It's not small, it's universal. Do not bear false witness against anyone is what it says. So in Israel, there's this judicial context, uh, and you'll find it in Deuteronomy uh, where we're talking about two or three witnesses never take the testimony of just See, God does not trust you in a certain sense. One witness, no, two or three, please. Uh, And sometimes you'll see this translated, do not lie. There's a list of commandments in in Leviticus. Leviticus. It's in um, Leviticus 19. And they're very similar to the Ten Commandments, but there's some differences. And there, uh, the one that sort of corresponds to no false witness says no lying. But lying is a bigger category than giving false witness. We can lie in ways that don't aren't technically false witness. We're not supposed to do either of them. They are both forbidden. Um, we have to think about how we're connecting to these commandments. I've searched the world. I searched the world over. And I, uh, oh, that's a song. So um, (laughs) I thought I found true love. She met another and she was gone. So that has not happened to me, but I did find three representatives uh, People who are steeped in and whose spiritual lives are benefited by uh, various tra- traditions. Are you ready? Yeah. Here are um, three experts on the Ninth Commandment. Some of the Catholic Church teaches, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor as forbidding the misrepresentation of the truth in our relations with others this moral prescription flows from the vocation of the holy people to bear witness to their god who is the truth and wills the truth offenses against the truth expressed by word or deed a refusal to commit oneself to moral uprightness they are fundamental infidelities to god and in this sense they undermine the foundations of the covenant What is required of the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I be no backbiter nor slanderer. That I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. But that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. Also, that I defend and promote as much as I'm able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, nor defame our neighbor, but defend him, speak well of him and put the best construction on everything. Traditions which sometimes people want to pretend are separated from each other somehow. Um, The Roman Catholic Catechism, Angelo was giving us the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563, which uh, along with the Westminster Catechism is the foundational pair of Reformed Theology and the lovely Mrs. Heath. Mrs. Dr. Heath. (laughs) Um, That was Luther's smaller catechism. And these are the same thought expressed differently. A little bit of tone here or language there, but they are unified, as we should be in thinking about this Requirement not to bear false witness because it has two aspects. One is not to deceive, and, the, and each of the three, especially the, the first two that are, were stated a little bit longer, they emphasize that you're hurting people when you do that. Do not do it. It hurts people. And then there is also in each of them a positive, which is to uplift and uphold each other. Neighbors, which is are to be uplifted and upheld. This is the way that our testimony is going to gain standing so that we can say God will not fail and someone will believe it or at least be intrigued by it. Um, I have a uh, last. I just wanted to get Tim Keller up here. The ninth commandment. We do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. The New City Catechism. Uh, Chris Kelly turned me on to that last week, so I appreciate that, and that is a piece of work coming out of Keller's Um, evangelism in New York City on Manhattan, uh, which, thank God for him. For some reason, my time is down to seven minutes, so (laughs) I was asked uh, by a number of people to talk about what is truth. Uh, Okay, goodbye to that. Uh, you know, I want to say something about it. The fact is that truth is a, a lot less slippery as a concept than people pretend it to be. In fact, it's a form of false witness to pretend that truth is slippery. When the people who um, talk about how impossible it is to determine truth walk into McDonald's and say, I want a Big Mac, what do they think they're going to get? A Big Mac. Because language is perfectly useful. When you fight about the fringes of of philosophical concepts, and this applies to a lot of cultural discussions, it's easy to get distracted. But at the core, we know what truth is. Truth corresponds to what is real. And if we bring our humility to the discussion as as Pastor Mike says over and over again the the key to our engagement with people is our humility. If we bring this humility and we understand that we don't know everything but there is something that can be known, somebody knows it. God knows it. the Old Testament um, is very clear about this. This is Isaiah, I'm skipping two slides. This is Isaiah 45, 19. I am the Lord. I declare, I speak the truth and I declare what is right. So, at its most fundamental, the question of what's true is that God determines what is true. He's made it. He sustains it at every instant and it is his. We are his. Zechariah 8:16 tells us what truth is for. Why does it matter whether we speak the truth? Rather than deceiving, we uplift and uphold all people. Why does that matter? Because of shalom. Because of peace. If you give true judgment, peace will be the result. If we as a community use true judgment, we will be at peace and just as an aside um, Vista, y'all are awesome and I'm sure that I don't know some things but okay, I think you are at peace with each other in in a miraculous way I think more at peace, more unified than any Christian group I've ever been in. And I've been in a lot because I'm old. So, bless you. Congratulations. Well, when you look at the New Testament, you're going to see a lot of information about this truth and not bearing false witness. Uh, we know, for example, that Jesus uses this passage, uses this concept about false witness when he talks about um, body life in Matthew 18 where he says, win your brother and if the dispute continues, use two or three witnesses. This is a direct um, connection to Exodus and Deuteronomy. When Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, in contradistinction to the good way of applying these things, the, the young man, the person, says, I've kept all the commandments. And then he lists which ones does he list? He lists six, seven, eight, and nine or 567 and 8 for the lutherans in the room and what does Jesus say to them yeah okay you think that but now here's how you should be applying what you think you're doing others first it's really an uh, a, a pre-statement, an early statement of Philippians 2, the interest of all others never my own. The interest of others, not my own. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, I'm clearly skipping, jumping and skipping. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. But what is the result of this? It's maturity. And the passage goes on. The result of speaking the truth in love, whether it's within our community or whether it's in the wider uh, society that we uh, occupy a little corner in, what happens is we mature in the Lord. We are conformed to the image of the Savior of the world and As such, our witness is empowered. The Holy Spirit, not being grieved by our deceit, but being honored by our truthfulness, will not allow the word of the Lord to return empty. The word of God is powerful, and it will accomplish God's purpose. Two last things as we go red. So, um, we live as sinners amongst sinners. I am a sinner. False witness is an easy temptation, it's even easier when we can do it anonymously. Do not associate with this. It will destroy you. Let's think of an example of martyrdom of witness that we could take to heart and emulate. I'm not going to skip this part because this is important. Was a woman, a Dutch woman named Corrie Ten Boom. I'm going to choke up again. She was nobody, unmarried, older woman, living with her parents, teaching Bible studies, following Jesus. Nobody had ever heard of her. And then the Nazis came. To Holland. And the ten booms had a rather rickety, complicated sort of a house. So a couple of bits of carpentry, and there was a hiding place. And they hid people and saved them, but they were betrayed. And Corey. the Ten Boom family went to first to prison, and then for the ones that survived that, they went to concentration camp. Corey and her sister, and Corey's sister, Betsy, died largely because of the behavior of one particular guard. It was a system, yes, but this man was particularly hard on Betsy. She was small and weak and already sick and he essentially killed her after the war Cory ten Boom did evangelistic meetings all over Europe and later in her life in the states and she did a meeting near the Robinsbrook concentration camp in 1948 does that sound right? in the late 40s. And she recognized the man. But she did not allow her personal point of view to overcome the love of Jesus. If you know the story, you know what happened. He came to her and said, I have become a Christian and she forgave him. Look, we are betrayers of the Lord when we practice deceit. But 1 John 1:9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. They got a hook. <laughs> He is faithful and just to forgive us. The forgiveness is just. It's right that we are forgiven because God is faithful. And as forgiven people on an individual basis and as a community, we can confess as a a community of believers. Then uh, Hebrews 4 says that we have confidence Confidence is hard to come by today. We are bombarded. We are worried. We are anxious. We are overworked. We are, we are afraid of the future. We're afraid of what people outside the church and people inside the church because there's just all this trouble from people carrying around their Bibles and being deceitful. But God says that we have confidence to come before Him because He has made the way, because Jesus has made the way. Brian?